Speak softly loud and hold me warm against your heart. Good evening, ladies, gentlemen, whoever else is out there. This is Gianni Russo, and welcome to another episode. This is an episode, Pat. What do we call these things? This is an episode. Episode. So is it? We're an episode four. No, we're an episode. Anyway, I don't know. Whatever it is, whatever. Whatever We've lost track. You're listening to Hollywood Godfather podcast. Introducing my friend and partner Pat. Good evening, everybody. And our lovely co-host and partner also, Megan. How you doing, everybody? What are we going to talk about this week? Well, you know, I'm thinking uh, we're about to enter uh, uh, Holy Week, Easter. Uh, the world celebrates Holy Week in some some fashion, and I'm thinking you have to have some kind of a Holy Week story for us. I mean, oh yeah, you got the right guy. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, I can actually bring up any subject and say right. you have to have a story for us, and of course you will. Any topic at all. Any topic. <laughs> I mean, but this this one is really unique. Um, at the, in, in the late '60s and like around '69. Uh, Sinatra had his boat that Budweiser gave him and more next to my boat and my boat was in front of the Eden Rock his was in front of the Farm Blue what's the name of your boat? Uh, a Playgirl I don't know how that came about but it was called <laughs> I, the Playgirl that, that was before the sex change operation you had right? And that was before the magazine too <laughs> there you go alright All right. I got it No, I, it was so funny that you should mention it because I had this dinghy the bigger dinghy at the back of the boat yeah, and my my thank God that my 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 first mate on the boat was a painter because anytime I got involved with a girl, I make him change the name of the dinghy. Oh my gosh! <laughs> which yeah. which became a funny thing because a dinghy, a girl's a dinghy, and what is a dinghy? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, so, so Sinatra said tonight we we have two invitations. And they want me want you want I want you to come along. I said okay. He says it's black tie. I said you crazy. It's 80 degrees out. He's come along. So one of them was at the Diplomat, and they would have the uh, anti-defamation, American anti-defamation, like the Italians, and Joe Colombo, and all that. So we went to that first, and the other one was at the Diplomat, I mean the uh, Fontainebleau Hotel, and that was for Moshe Diane after the three-day war. They were honoring him for Israel Independence Day, and it was Sammy Davis and everybody there. Moshe, so, he he was uh, he was a, a general at the time, no? Yeah, he was the general, yeah. the Israeli army. Tough guy. Mm. Yeah, I, I I recall him with with the patch on his eye, right? Right. Yeah. 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 yeah right. So now in the afternoon we had a golf cart. We you know we didn't have a car. We mm-hmm. had a golf cart to just run around the beach with. So he's come on. Let's go to, over to Ballo's Jewelers, which is the jeweler on Arthur Garfield Drive in Miami Beach at the time. Mm-hmm. Probably still there. It is still there. And, and he said, let's go. I got to get a gift. So we go over there and uh, walk into the jewelry store. And he said, I want to see opera glasses, very fancy opera glasses. So we go in the back room, obviously, because he's Sinatra. They don't let him stand at a counter. And we're in the guy's office, and he brings in these glasses. And he and Frank picks out a, a beautiful pair of opera glasses. And see, so, these things look like small binoculars, right? right. Yeah, yeah they're very elegant and gold-plated. Yeah the handle on the end mm-hmm. yeah all of that yeah. so he said do me a favor I'll take these he's but can you cut them in half <laughs> and pe- wrap them separately 
And I know he loves practical jokes. I don't even ask anymore. So we do that and we leave. I, I didn't even care. So now we go to the diplomat up in Fort Lauderdale. And now the driver takes us back. We're at the beach. And the, the I mean, that was, I mean, Fort Lauderdale was like going to an Italian wedding. Every goombar in the world was there. <laughs> and they raised a lot of money. So now we go to the Fontainebleau Blue Hotel. It's jammed, the main ballroom. I mean, every high-end, because they were doing the Israel bonds and raising so much money all through that war. And on the day, this is obviously, you know, Sammy, I'm Sammy Davis Jr., we all knew, and Moshe Diane, the war hero. So uh, Frank says to me, uh, you got those two gifts for me? I said, yeah. So I, I have the two gifts, I give it to him. So Frank goes to the podium, and he says, you know, I can't believe the crowd that's here tonight. He said, we just left the Italian Anti-Defamation League dinner up at the Diplomat Hotel, and they raised $33,000. I was so proud. He said, I came here now, and they just told me, you guys raised $3 million. He said, but the only difference is, ours was in cash, yours is in pledges. I don't know if you're ever going to collect them. <laughs> and the audience went crazy. Then he gives Moshe Diane one of the boxes, and he gives Sammy one of the boxes. They both have one eye. Now I figured out what oh he did. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, But the funniest thing, then he, he goes on further and he says, and Moish, is you understand one thing, if the enemy came in from the right, the three-day war would still be going on because that's his <laughs> bad eye. <laughs> so they, they opened it up and they, 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 they knew right away. Oh, yeah, they thought it was hysterical. <laughs> But at the end of the evening, they made the mistake, and our audience is starting to hear this and understand me, don't ever invite me, because I'll go. So they said they're going to stay. They stay. <laughs> the idea. So Moish says, you know, we're all going. And Sammy went back. He was with Britt Acklin at that time. That's why he, he converted. He actually converted to Judaism, oh. Sammy. So he said, we're all going to go back to Israel. If you want to come, we have extra space on the plane. So I said, I'll go. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I'd go there because it was coming to be Holy Week and me being a Catholic, you know. But I always identified to Jesus as being a Jew and a rabbi as a young boy. Right. So that interest in itself, I wanted to go. So I went and the timing was perfect for me because it was Holy Week and Easter. Mm -hmm. And I wound up being the chef in a kibbutz. I stayed six months, but it gave me the opportunity, you know, to go to Bethlehem and be a part of all this and I mean now that I think about it it was almost sacrilegious because the young girls they gave me a staff of you know helping prep people in the kitchen one better looking than the other oh my <laughs> it was gosh. amazing you were cooking Italian food for them? And I cooked everything I, oh. see, I, as, you, as you remember I was converting to Judaism oh yeah that's another story that's another Jeez. story when I was tr going to marry this girl oh right and um so I was learning. I learned a kugel, and I, I mean, what kinds of Jewish dishes and and kosher dishes. Not so only I, that, you were a doctor at the time. Well, yeah, you get around, Doctor J. Yeah, Adam right. Time, yeah. <laughs> I mean, my credentials go beyond anybody's. <laughs> no, but so it was. I was a perfect fit because even when I got there, they were shocked that I could, you know, I could do a matzah bride, do anything. But they all wanted Italian food <laughs> once they found out I was Italian. 
<laughs> but it was an amazing experience. But to be in Jerusalem during Holy Week and watch how they reenact the uh, whole procession on Palm Sunday with the crucifixion and all of that. And they have it through the streets. And people bid on to carry this life-size crucifix. And they reenact it all. I mean, it's, it's an amazing experience. But I mean, it uh, again, though, it's, like I said, now reflecting on it, me being a young guy, I was just there for a lot of other reasons. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Six months in Israel. That was crazy, though. Crazy it was time. like you were on the lam. Yeah, well, I've done that so many times. But, I know. Uh, yeah. This time I left because I had no reason. I just left. It was so. I guess it was a vacation mm. instead of the lamb. <laughs> but um, do you have any classic experiences as a young Catholic, P Patrick, in New York City that you want to share with us? Well, I tell you, I I, I hate to say, you know, being around you, uh, you know, you're, you're a very uh, you're you're a, you're a man of faith. I don't know if the audience is, is aware of that, given your background, but. You actually had written into your contracts, into your movie contracts, that you were allowed. They, they had to find time for you to go to church. Yep. No, yeah. I, and it's, it's even funny because, you know, as you I point that out, I was a guest of some, some crazy people like Saddam Hussein and uh, to find, you know, a church in, in, in a Muslim <laughs> yeah, yeah. country. Yeah. I did that in, in Indonesia. I did it all over the place. In fact, I my newest visit abroad I mean the most current I should say was when I went to Dubai and they invited me over the prince invited me over to be at his 50th birthday and I was just kidding with him we were all having lunch at my favorite restaurant that's no longer my favorite restaurant so we mentioned <laughs> it on Madison Avenue and when the United Nations is in New York City this restaurant's jammed with everybody from every country so I have a tendency to get up and sing and hang out and just have fun. And I was already about three bottles of wine down, so oh, I, I was singing already. And uh, the, the prince's uh, aide came over to me and said, the prince is very impressed with you and would really like you to come over to Dubai. Once again, you're invited, you go. Yes, but Maybe I went. All right. <laughs> no, no, but I, this time it was w well worth it. So he came to me, the guy, and sat down with me. He's a very polite guy. And they had a, they were in the back with you know their own bodyguards and entourage, and he said, "Would you like to come back and meet the prince?" I said, "Of course." So I went back, and the, and the guy he was very humble, and he said he's having his fiftieth birthday party, and he considered it a pleasure and an honor for me to come over, and I wanted to see what went on over there. This was about five or six years ago, and uh, I said, "Great, I'll come." So he said, okay, and then I got up and went back to the table. The guy comes over, gets all my, you know, itinerary and my name and my, how my name is, is on my uh, uh, passport, gave him all of that. He says, how can we compensate you? I was drunk. I said, give me a hundred. That's hard to believe. You drink? I didn't know that. Yeah, that's yeah, didn't realize that. I only sober wow. up for the show. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Usually. He, no, the interesting thing is that I said, Give me a hundred grand, I'll come. They gave me a hundred thousand dollars. They flew me over on Emirates Airline. I mean, I've been on a lot of airlines. Emirates Airline is three stories. They have three different doors you get on the airliner with. What? And being I was flying first class, he owns the airline. <laughs> they send a Rolls Royce car to your house. 
take you to the airport. Then they put you in all. It's all according if you want to be in the, in the crowd of the people that also. There's only uh, 14 suites mm-hmm. up in this super class. It's $16,000 a ticket. Wow. But you have your own little, like, uh, bed. And I mean, you go, it's, it slides. It's not all the way to the ceiling, but you go there. It's all burl wood. You have a seat that turns into a bed. You have everything. Wow. And then you have a menu that what time you shower normally during the day. They come and get you, bring you to a, a regular big shower. On a plane. On the plane. I can't even like picture this. And, right and the and the colognes. I mean, you do a bio, and they have everything there for you. This this is like Air Force One. Yeah, hello. I think it's better actually. And then, but really blew me away when I got on the plane. This girl comes, gorgeous, and they had the veils, which I like, and the beautiful mm-hmm. hat for the build the intrigue. And she said, "Mr. Russo, when you have a minute, go to the." men's suite in the front and this is a hanger for your clothes and they gave me a bag with a beautiful jumpsuit and all the colognes that were on my list and I had like a little locker to put those in for when I showered but now I gave them my clothes I came on with I had and they pay pay you to boot right yeah and I had slippers and a jumpsuit it was amazing wow but I mean, it was the best. I think seventeen-hour flight, and they have a, a lounge that you know, if you get out of your room, you want to go down to the lounge. They have a regular bar and a food twenty-four-seven on the bar, and then people from the uh, first class below us came to that also, but nobody else on the plane. It was I tell you, I wouldn't have left the plane. I didn't want to. <laughs> yeah. But when I landed, you know, I felt insulted at first because when I got my itinerary. They put me in the, uh, the Meridian Suites or something. I know the, the, the Parker Meridian here. And it really is not an upscale place. I said, mm. And I, when I said, you know, I asked, I questioned. They said, oh, no, when we, we took it over, you'll have to see this. It's okay. So everything was still perfect anyway. So I land, they have a call for me. They, they take me to this hotel. And we go past the hotel. And we go around the backgrounds. A gate opens. And there's a tower that is only for their VIPs. There's four rooms per floor. Every floor has a butler 24 hours a day in the hallway. And they give me a card that is a VIP card, like a credit card, mm-hmm. that's used on the property only so they know it's mine. Then everything on the everything on the property, you just use this card. Then the prince's aide came to me, to my room, and he checked me. He brought an iris reader. And I said, what the hell are we doing? Am I getting an eye test? Yeah. He said, well. It's an eye scan for security, right? Yeah. But it was eye scan for the security because I was going to go to the prince's palace. Every doorway, you have to walk up to the door you're about to go into to see if they cleared you for access for that part of the house. I mean, I never saw security like this. It's amazing. Was a, I mean, it's a great... I, I was there for... You know, I, I wanted to relax. So I came two days before and I left three days after. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, let me ask you a question. So this is a Muslim country. So this is a non-drinking party you had, right? Well, no, the, uh, what's interesting, I, you know, I, I, I used to hang out with Mormons. 
supposedly they, they didn't drink either. Right. They were called Jack Mormons that drank. <laughs> these mu- these Muslims only didn't drink at sundown on Friday night, hmm. and then on Saturday night they flexed. They made up for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah. for me, I was the only guy in the bar Friday night. I loved it. <laughs> oh my gosh! They actually had a hoo house on the ground. Is that is that politically correct to say? I don't even know what that means. Uh, uh, oh, there you a go. House, a house of prostitution. A house of ill repute. Oh, okay. And they changed the girls every three days, and nobody in the place is over twenty-one. I could have died and went to heaven there. I wanted the job. Oh my I, I wanted to be the maitre d'. <laughs> you know, you're talking about the. Uh, Wealthy Middle Eastern people and prostitutes. We, uh, when I was, I was a private investigator. Well, I still am a private investigator. I guarded the royal Saudi family, which is enormous. There's thousands of them, and every every now and then a, a different contingent would uh, come into New York, and every now and then we would get the security for them. And the first thing they wanted, they want well, they wanted hookers, booze, uh, and and drugs. I mean, these are the you know while they're in their own country, I guess they don't do this stuff. Mm. But anyway. Uh, I'm, I'm a retired cop. I know everybody, but they wanted the hookers first. So I made a couple of calls and uh, really high class women, and I bring them up to the hotel suite. And uh, their spokesperson said, How much are they? And I said, They're, they're each $500 uh, a, a night or something like that. It was 500 700 an hour or something like that. And they said, We don't. We don't want to pay any less than $3,000. Get us $3,000 women. So I brought them back down to the car, drove around the block, brought the same women back upstairs. And, <laughs> and you kept the $2,500. <laughs> well, how did you know that? I didn't even know you then, and I was I was learning from you. <laughs> and, and I said, okay, we got different we got different women, and they paid $3,000 for the $750 uh, woman. That's crazy. I mean, these people are unbelievable. They just love to spend money. And you know what they spent money on the most? What? Luggage. Oh, yeah. yeah they love, I mean, they, they clean out luggage stores. I mean, I, Louis I Vuitton, never Gucci. understand that. Every time they came here, whether it be the same people or different people, they bought luggage. They Every day was a different bag, a different store, a different designer piece of luggage. Wow. Amazing. You know what I found out? Because I, I, I was traveling around with Bob Shaheen and, and Khashoggi. And I, I saw the same thing. I said, why do you keep buying luggage? It was yes. because of the shopping they were doing. It's the only way to get it back to their country. Oh, yeah, sense. that's yeah. true. It wasn't plastic bags. Right. I mean, I mean, I learned so much from those. Like, and, uh, traveling with those people are amazing. I mean, and, and then I only found out the night of the party was black tie. was 500 close people in the palace. And all he wanted me to sing, because he heard me singing, I went over to sing, and I had a band. Uh, I still have the band in, in Liverpool that I used to go over once a year. So I put this band together every time I needed them. So he said, uh, who, who could accompany you? I said, I had this band in Liverpool. They flew them over. You know, for a second there, I thought you were going to tell me you were the fifth Beatle. Right. I was thinking no, no. the same thing just now. <laughs> no, no. I, 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 was, I went over there with Frank Sinatra, Many years ago, on our way to Monte Carlo for Red, uh, Grace Kelly's Red Cross Ball. She has it every year for the Red Cross mm. until she died. In fact, Albert, her son, is still doing it, carrying it on. But we stopped there, and being that I was with Sinatra, there is a group over there called the Frank Sinatra Fan Club. 
that when he passed on, they became my fans. Really? So when I go, they buy out the whole first night. You inherited them. Yeah. Yeah. And I because I do a lot of Sinatra music anyway. Yeah. So he heard about that. I mean, this guy had me checked. Mm. And for the hundred thousand dollars and whatever else he spent on me, all he wanted was my way and the theme for the Godfather. Wow. That's all I sang. Now let me explain this to you though. There was, I mean, an hour of entertainment during the dinner, and then everything was dancing and disco. But he had Pink Floyd. I mean, he flew groups in. I thought, this is insane. Wow, that's crazy. It was crazy time, man. Crazy time. Nice, nice to have money, man. Now yeah. let's let's talk about Megan. What about me? I want to know, what do, you, what's, what do you remember about, because I know you're a good Catholic. I met you in church. <laughs> yes, that is true. What What's your most impressed thing that you were affected by as, as you now or maybe as a little girl about mm-hmm. what we're going through right now, this being Lent. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I've grown up as devout Catholic. You know, I was raised that way. My dad is very, very into his faith. And so, yeah, I grew up, I went to Catholic school all my life. I still go to a Catholic Jesuit university now. So it's always been very ingrained in me and important to my family. My mom's not even Catholic. She's Episcopalian, so she kind of adapted my dad's faith, and you know it's been very important to us. So I'm sitting here with my ashes on I my know. forehead right now. Nobody so I, it sounds like you attend church uh, on a regular basis. Yes, right? absolutely. Especially when I'm with my family, we go we go as a family every Sunday, and that is is that, pretty that, much how I met Gianni, which is crazy. Well, it's so crazy. I was I don't know, Pat, you recall this or not? But I was in uh, Marcos Island this this uh, past New, New Year's. Years, yeah. And, oh yeah, you uh, told me this. Year. Yeah, I was with uh, Eddie Greco, who my my partner's and distributor for all our Italian foods. We might as well give him a plug: the Cordelion family selection of foods. <laughs> Greco and Son, who I'm really proud to be a part of, they're a six billion dollar a year company. Now we gave this brand to them, and they are, I mean, doing an amazing job. And we they're finally getting into retail grocery stores because mm. they only did industrial shipped in restaurants and all that. But um, I broke away even that Sunday to go to this church, which I never knew. There's a St. Marcos. Right. And so we went to St. Marcos Island Church. And I went by myself. Everybody else didn't even sober up yet. (laughs) And I walk in this church, and I like sitting in the front pews. I like to be connected to the priest. As does my dad. Yeah, I found that out. Yeah. So I'm sitting there by myself, a, a man who has like, you know, 20 kids. I got nine sons, two daughters, and nine grandsons. And I'm there by myself. And I noticed this family right in front of me, this, uh, you know, uh, husband and wife, two daughters and their son. And they're holding hands and praying the Our Father. And I said, this is amazing. And I left, you know. But I tell you right now, there was like, 2,000 people. Do you remember that? There was, yeah, there was a lot of people I never saw that, that many people in this church. Yeah. There was, and I thought I was reflecting when I was looking at the altar. I thought I was looking at a mirror. There was glass behind the altar. There was another whole bunch of people in the back. Yeah, a whole another set of pews behind the Behind altar. them to get all oh, these just people. Just to fit in. more. It was, well, I probably heard you were going to be there, John. No, no, no. I had not, <laughs> believe me. I had Godfather not, no, It would have been empty if that there no. I was coming. So now I see... This wonderful family. I go back to the hotel. I go up to the room and I'm going to go down to the pool. 
And I had this little area reserved every day for me with this fire pit. It was really nice. And I, you know, they, I was drinking like one or two bottles of wine. Here comes this guy that I just saw at church, <laughs> Megan's father. And we both said the same thing. I just saw you at church. Well, yeah. this apparently was made to be. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's why I'm saying it. And I think, I mean, spiritually, being that we're talking about Holy Week and my life has been so touched in so many ways, spiritually, mm-hmm. without getting into being too corny. But here is this family and the mother, her mother, mm-hmm. Gretchen, if I remember. Yes, exactly. Wow, how do I remember that? Yeah. She comes up to me. She cannot believe I'm Johnny Russo. She can't believe that you were in The Godfather. I know. Because it's her favorite movie of all time. and It's everybody's favorite exactly, movie. Exactly, as it is so yeah. many people. And she wouldn't have recognized you just by, you know, walking by and seeing you. So the fact that she learned it after you had already gotten talking to my dad, it was just, like, unreal. No, but I'm, I'm, I was, after that happened, what was what I'm saying to, is because of the character, mm-hmm. Carlo in The Godfather. Mm-hmm. He was so violent and everything mm-hmm. else. And here's your mother, a church going lady and she likes me well, I'm saying to myself what's wrong with this picture That's yeah she came great. she came to me and she was like once he said that she was like I could see it she was like I could see it it's crazy so yeah she well, was very excited by that it's a good thing you didn't call her a guinea brat oh no 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 mm-hmm. well I couldn't anyway she's not <laughs> no, <laughs> no she's not <laughs> but now we found all this out but mm-hmm. I wanted to know was there something special to you as a child or an adult during Holy Week or that really hooked you in spiritually other than your mother and father like we all had to go right. and then yeah. it, we got devoted to it mm-hmm. I, I still I mean I never miss Mass in my life yeah not in my life ever right. that's pretty I mean, impressive but, yeah and uh, well it's, it's me it's a devotion that mm-hmm. I believe in I try to pass it on to my kids and I understand I mean they, they the church is to blame for it because mm. it's so hypocritical and we're all knowing now and Finally, they're owning up to all this pedophile and all this stuff. You know, even even now I have my little grandson, Luciano, and I'm saying to myself, you know, we, we always said, no, he's got to go to Catholic school. Mm-hmm. You have to really think about that now because when you see the damage they did to so many, so many people, and they well, really still are not coming forward about it. Well, you know, this is a nice segue into my uh, Catholic uh, re- religion story. Would you like to hear this? Go right please, ahead. please. Okay, prior to 1988, you never heard anything about a pedophile priest. Think about it. Yeah. Never heard, never heard a peep. So I'm a, I'm a, I'm a newly minted private eye. I just retired from the NYPD, and what do we do? Of course, we become private investigators, right? So, for, for, you know, for lack of anything better to do. And I get contacted by the New York Post. He said, we'd like to talk to you about a story uh, that we're thinking of doing, but we need some uh, investigation behind it. And I'm thinking, well, don't, you know, don't, don't they know the definition of an investigative reporter? Why can't they do it? But I'm not mm-hmm. going to turn down work. Anyway, they didn't want to talk about it over the phone, so I go up to the post uh, offices. It was, it was downtown somewhere uh, off the East River by the old Fulton Fish uh, Market. I go in there, and they said, we're doing an investigation uh, or a, a potential story on Father Bruce Ritter. You know who he was? No. no. Father Bruce Ritter started an organization called Covenant House. Do you recall Covenant House? I do remember that, yeah. Okay, Covenant House, Megan, uh, was a uh, a business 
for lack of a better term, that Father, the Catholic priest, mm -hmm. Father Bruce Ritter started during the Vietnam War era. Uh, it was on 44th Street in an abandoned church. He retrofitted it to take in wayward children that were running away from home. This was the, this was the 60s. And it was, you know, a drop out, get high, and run away. I mean, uh, p kids were coming into the Port Authority bus terminal from all points in the United States, and they would get off the bus literally nowhere to go. And a lot of them didn't even have shoes on because that was the style then. You know, wow. hip, uh, yeah, hippies, nobody was wearing shoes. You walked the city streets with, with, without shoes on, only they, they were coming from Alabama to New York in the middle of February. Mm. It was nippy out there. Whoa. You know, so. So Father Bruce comes up with this idea that he's going to take these wayward lost souls in and take care of them, feed them, house them. And the word got out. Uh, and this guy was all over the media. And Nancy Reagan, your your best friend, Nancy Reagan, Gianni? Oh, yeah, I remember. <laughs> okay. Smilish. <laughs> she, she got fixated on this guy, and she gave him a lot of publicity. He was invited to the White House, and Covenant Houses incorporated and began to pop up all over the United States and all over the world. And this guy was an icon and everybody said, what a wonderful thing he's doing, taking in all these kids. Well, he was abusing all the young boys. Oh, man. Oh, wow. But he was sacrosanct. This guy was untouchable because he was Father Bruce. Right. So this now this is 1988, 20 years after the fact. Covenant House is now a worldwide successful business. It still exists, by the way. But how, uh, how is it a business? That's what they make money. Well, it's they were getting donors from all over the world. Oh, I see. Support and, them. And, and yeah, it was it was it, it became a business, and of course the money was going uh, into the church allegedly. Whatever the money wasn't. So it was a five hundred one c corporation. They could donate, and like myself, yeah, uh, yeah. I try to get money out, out money by the end of the year. And yeah, I the, 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 only, the, the only thing he he wasn't screwing was the the, the public who was giving giving him donations mm -hmm. but he abused many many children and my uh, boys young boys now by this time these young boys are in their 20s so Whoa. uh somebody came to the post and told them what i just told you and uh, they had to verify it and as you know in journalism you need two sources so that was my job so the first thing i did was polygraph these young men i'm a mm -hmm. polygraph person i've given thousands and thousands of tests over my career wow anyway they're all telling the truth and I went further than that. I got uh, records, hotel records, and I, I had a, a, enough evidence, and the Post ran with the story. And he was banished from Covenant House, banished from the Catholic Church, and he winds up becoming a hermit in a small town in upstate uh, New York. He lived in a cabin by himself, and he still had his uh, followers who would bring him food. He never left that cabin, and I believe he died... 2007 to 2008 without anybody ever seeing him again but that's what started the ball rolling and after that I became the go-to guy if you want to get a priest arrested oh wow. wow yeah so I was instrumental probably in locking up between 60 and 70 priests Jeez. well you must be very busy right now because it, it well, seems like they get rid so of a disgusted lot of... with this I uh, can imagine I was... go ahead I'm sorry no no I'm just saying I can imagine doing that kind of work and finding out what these guys are doing. Well, it gets to the point where you don't trust these people anymore. The, the, the more I dug into this, uh, I, I, I found out 
that there was, in fact, I told this to the Post and they should follow it up, uh, groups of men that went into the priesthood for the sole purpose of abusing young boys. Mm-hmm. It was like their own private club because who do you trust more than a priest? Right. And I not mean, only was, that, basically, you know. these people had their own secret handshakes. I mean, they knew Ooh. who each other's uh, each other were, was, That's and so they could twisted. be transferred from parish to parish, which is what happened once they got caught prior to Father Bruce. Uh, right. You know, he he burst the balloon, so to speak. But uh, this was running rampant. So any, I mean, I every time the phone rang, I'd say, "Oh no, it's it's another pedophile priest case," and it was. Mm. So when I finally. Uh, well, when I when I moved to Pennsylvania, uh, I live in Western Pennsylvania in a semi-rural area, and I figured this isn't going to go on anymore. But I didn't trust priests. My kids, when they finally came of age to go to school, we sent them to a Catholic school, and there's this one priest there. You know, he talks to the parents before the kids come in, and he was the kind of guy. And it, this doesn't necessarily have anything to do with with being a priest, but he talked down to everybody. Hmm. You know, and this was well, pissing me off. It's it's <laughs> funny. No, it's funny because, and um, as I'm reflecting on so many of those pe- people, priests that I met through the from the Vatican and everything else, they find they're more superior, and they yes. try they try to d- diminish you, and so they 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 think you know, that you you know they're superior, well, far superior. Thing. Yeah, it's a control thing. No. So this guy's talking to me, and and I'm you know I didn't want to say well. You know who I am. I hate when somebody starts off a conversation like that. Because right. I was all over the press. And, you know, I was the guy that, that locks up priests. Anyway, I said, listen to me. All I care about is the safety and well-being of my sons. And if anything ever happens, I didn't address it to him directly. I said, they're going to have to deal with me. And he's looking at me like I'm crazy. But apparently, he made a couple of calls. And after that, he was very nice to me. But the guy was a real, a real hypocrite. So anyway, fast forward about a year. And I'm in Atlantic City. Uh, uh, I forgot what I was going there for, playing cards, meeting people, whatever. I'm walking through the casino in, in one of the hotels, and I hear this raucous laughter coming from the bar area. So naturally, my attention is diverted to the bar. And who do I see sitting there with a hooker under each arm but the priest? Oh, my gosh. The same guy. And by the way, you know, they, they, they give you this pardon the pun, but to me, this holier-than-thou attitude, you know, mm-hmm. I'm a, uh, I represent the Lord, and I guess, well, this guy was so full of himself, and I see him there drinking up a storm with these two hookers, and it was evident they were hookers. He took one look at me, and I thought he was going to drop dead right there. I mean, the guy blanched. He turned white. Oh, my gosh. And but, I just uh, smiled at him, and I said, I hope you're having a good time, Father. I mean, they didn't know he was a priest, obviously. Right, right, right. But after I got done with him, they did. But the interesting thing, you know, in my warped mind, I'm, I'm glad that he wasn't. I thought you were going to say he was there with guys. No, no. I'm so happy he was there with women, at least. <laughs> That's yeah. true. So, I mean, that he, makes it at least, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather him, you know, I yeah, feel more relieved race, yeah. that he was not in, uh, involved with two guys there or something. You know, well, it's so crazy. And as we all have, you know, experiences, you, you never had a problem in, in church or no, in school. No, my my parish was never involved with any of that I mean stuff. I could see priests hitting on you but not no, <laughs> no I mean as a normal that's normal so. uh, well I'm glad because <laughs> it's not like we're saying something out of the ordinary yeah, look yeah. how many people are coming forward now I know saying you yeah know, luckily we've never had you know, anybody my, involved my, my oldest sister most people don't know became in, in the Catholic Church and uh, the firstborn 
to very religious Italian Catholics. The firstborn, the child, is donated to the church. Yeah. Really? So in, my, in, in what sense? Donated in this sense. I mean, I wish I was the firstborn because I'd be pope by now. But <laughs> no, because when you, you have when, to take a pay cut. Well, when you go through adolescence, then you you go to the the missionary. And really? my my sister, my sister Teresa, was sixteen, and she went into the convent, and went into one of the most toughest orders in the world. The, under the under the cloisters is the missionary sister, the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Mm. In fact, they only have one house in Pennsylvania, in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Pat. Oh, yeah. I know where Hershey is. Well, that's the only house for that convent, and then once they become a full nun there, mm -hmm. then they're shipped out all over the world to work missionaries. Oh. And the cloisters is the only uh, order that's harder than theirs. So I went and visited, because I love religion. I went there, and I go to the church, they don't have pews. They kneel on the floor for an hour of the mass. Really? I mean, I couldn't believe this. And then the first, the first ordination, or the first a ceremony of becoming these four ceremonies. Mm -hmm. they, I, I go there, and this is my older sister. We really weren't close. We were separated in, in, at you know, young age, and I, I went in the hospital. Right. She went and lived with my grandmother. My sister Joanne went and lived with her, 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 her uh, godparents, the Imides. I will never forget that in Chester Avenue. So we really weren't together, but I wanted to go and. Um, I went to the first, you know, ceremony of her in, as a postulant, and she's there, and they put a crown of thorns on her head, like the crucifixion, and all these young little girls have blood running down their face, reenacting the crucifixion. And they're praying with their arms straight out as if they're on a cross, kneeling straight up. I mean. Mm. That I mean, I, I, I mean, when I left there, I said, "That's this must be Catholic yoga or something." How, yeah. do, you, how do you do That's that? Intense. No, but I mean, it was an insane thing. But I mean, I mean, and it's uh, it's almost fanatical. Right. I mean, when, when we think of there's so many faiths out there that we, we don't understand, and this is something we were brought up to understand. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad now. I, mean, I I go to church all the time. And there was a young family behind me the other day, and they, they had struck up a conversation, and, and the, the son recognized me. And I, and I felt I could talk to him. And I noticed when the collections came, it was the day where there was two collections rather than mm -hmm. one, they put nothing in. Mm. So I wanted to know, because I've been hearing about how people, I don't know if you're hearing about it, Pat, how they're boycotting supporting the Catholic Church. But they're still going to church. They're going to church, but they will not give it any more money. Because well, I tell you, it's a, that's a novel idea. Well, there's an underground group promoting it. Because I lost the church here in New York, in New York that I really loved on, on 62nd Street. And I did parades, and I went to see Monsignors, and I, I even see the Cardinal Dolan. Because we were profitable. There was no reason to close this parish. Because all, we, we was, you know, the parish supplied and donated every dollar, dollar they needed. There was not a burden to the archdiocese. But they closed it because they were selling off 
choice property, and this is between 62nd, 1st and 2nd Avenue. Most expensive real estate in the world. Well, they did that to raise money to pay for all these loft and these uh, pedophiles that to all these victims, they're paying them off. Mm. And it's, it's cost the church billions of dollars. And nobody really knows that unless you're in these movements. I mean, I, I hate to be talking such negative things during Holy Week, but it's... <laughs> well, you should ask. Yeah. It, it's like, you know, it's, it's crazy because, you know, I sit here reflecting like most of my kids don't go to church. Hmm. They think that's hypocritical, and look what they do, and I can understand it. Oh, it's and, a choice. No, but and like you, and I'm glad to hear, Pat, that you were saying, after your investigation, even yourself, I mean, your two sons, you're putting him in the hands of these people, yeah. you know, eight hours a day, five days a week. Oh, I was very leery, man, but, you know, it's... it's school's supposed to be a, a, a Catholic school, or any school for that matter, is intended to be a place of safety. Yeah, and, and pleasure. you don't know who to trust. No, I mean, it's, um, that's why it's, it's, it's actually, well, you were raised where, Megan? What, right outside Philadelphia. Right. Well, that's not, I mean, that's not a, a very, it's, it's a pretty open, Philadelphia is a pretty hefty little town. I've been there a couple of times. Yeah. But, uh, Which town, Megan, outside of Philadelphia? Um, I'm in Lafayette Hill, it's called. It's a little town right in um, Montgomery County. Okay. Yeah. And uh, little, what's the population? So our audience Oh, is I like, don't know. I have no idea. Oh, okay. It's well, that kind of thing that, that I've never paid attention well, to. More than well, your family. Now that Megan was and her family else? left, probably six. <laughs> what was that, Pat? Now that Megan and her family left up to New York, there's probably six people <laughs> in the town, right? No, but I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy, unfortunately. And I can see where all of these stories become a deterrent of making a decision of what you do with your children. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's probably, as, as we're talking, it's probably one of the reflections in my life early on that I could never understand because when, when I, I, I didn't see my parents for a long time and I could never understand how a parent would not see their child. Like I remember the stories when, during the draft, remember even with, with uh, I think it was Cassius Clay and uh, Muhammad Ali. Now you know him as Muhammad Ali. He found his religion. Mm -hmm. But so many people were taking their sons to Canada to avoid the draft, mm. which was just going to war. Putting kids in a Catholic school, you could screw up their lives for the rest of their lives, which is worse than war. Because at least war, you're going to go to the draft for three or four years and come home. I mean, you're going to have some bad memories, like, unfortunately, Pat does too. He was in yeah, the Vietnam sure. War. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's so weird, the decisions that we have to make as parents. And uh, even me now, like I just said, with my, my last grandson, who this kid's like an angel, and I, always, I almost made the mistake of saying to my son, Anthony, we got to send him to Catholic school. I, st I stepped back. I'd rather send him, I'd rather <laughs> yeah, send him to military school. Second. Well, you know, it is, because now that I, you know, I have a few dollars, I've seen some really nice private schools mm -hmm. that are not tied to a religion, but they are really governed schools and have no problems, and they're totally transparent, and you can have any conversation you want with them, and you could look them up today. Fortunately, with, uh, you know, the Internet, 
you can do a research on almost anything in the world right. and find out if there's any record of anything like that. Mm. But, well, you know, Gianni, what surprised me when you and I first met and started to write our book, which, by the way, is coming out next Tuesday. Oh, no. Uh, no, it's uh, already, uh, Pat, what country yeah. are you in? It's already out. This is April 19th, the show. <laughs> oh, yeah, right, yeah. I hope everybody enjoyed the book. And yeah, we uh, we we pre-tape some of these shows. Anyway, uh, I was surprised that all the experiences you've had with the Catholic Church, particularly with the Vatican Bank, which we'll uh, which we'll talk about on, on one of our episodes, you've seen the worst of the Catholic Church, oh my and you God, still yeah. are, are 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 a man of faith. How do you not not separate that? Well, I'm going to tell you something that if, if you're a true Catholic, you're going to understand exactly what I'm saying. See, the Catholic Church, if you are a true believer of what it is, the Church is Jesus Christ and God. It's not a building. Right. You believe yeah. in Him. Yeah, point, yeah. See, I mean, I don't go to a building because they built it and it's beautiful. I'm going for the true definition of what my faith is, and my faith is in God. And God is the shrine. And basically, I mean, I don't want to get into this, but because yeah. people can say, well, he's a hypocrite because, I, you know, I've, my lifestyle. Mm-hmm. But my lifestyle has nothing to do with my belief. Not only that, it's your former lifestyle. Yeah, well, no, it's still my lifestyle. If, <laughs> I'd take somebody out if I had to. No, but, right. I, no, but I mean, to, what, that's, what, that's, the, that's the world we live in. Yeah, but yeah. it has nothing to do with who I am and what my faith is to me. But to answer your question, that's why I'm still devoted. I'm not devoted to the people who are running it. Mm-hmm. I go there for myself. I pray for people I care about. And I'm praying to the saints I believe in. has nothing to do with the guy sitting next to me or the guy on the altar. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. That's very, uh, that's very open-minded of you. you, you, you it, the, what we're hearing today about the church and what you've experienced, once again, with the Vatican Bank and all these other places, it didn't make you cynical. No, and you know, it's it's one of the interesting things. I had this conversation just the other day. That was one of the things that solidified my relationship with Pope John Paul. Mm-hmm. Because he was trying, and, and unfortunately he passed on, was trying to rebuild the Catholic Church and getting people to come back. And he knew about my life, and I, I, I got to know him and spend time with him. And he wanted to know how what my thoughts were. And one of the first things I told him and, and maybe you'll all recognize it now. And he was the person that did it. Because I said some of the things that's a turnoff, and, and it's, it's antiquated, the religion of where if you're divorced, you can't receive the sacrament no more. Right. And, and then you, you, you couldn't. So now, I don't know if you all recognize it, but they softened that. You couldn't, you couldn't go to the altar to get the sacrament. If you recognize now, you don't go to the altar. You stay on the floor of the church, and the priest offers it to you. Well, that's a breakthrough. That's what I'm saying. Because yeah. he, he, there's, there's no way anybody today could be a true Catholic. There's nobody believing in those Ten Commandments and living with them. Not even the priest or the oh, nuns. Yeah, tell me about it. There's yeah, nobody. Right. There's no way you can do it. How, how do you have not a bad thought? I mean, I have so many bad thoughts just watching women walk down the block. You know, <laughs> to me, <it's> like, <laughs> well, I, I really think this was an interesting show. I mean, yeah. I mean, who knew? But I mean, to think. I mean, again, I hope our listening audience don't think we're 
uh, abusing Holy Week, but this is the life we live in, man. This is the world we live in, unfortunately. And the only message I'd like to finish with, because I think we gave so many messages, Mm -hmm. find something you believe in. I don't care if it's a monkey. I don't care what it is. But And this is a time to just dwell on it. And fortunately, this show is going to be released to you on Wednesday of Holy Week. And you have five days to pick out something. It'll change your life, believe me. That's a good thought, Gianni. No. And... um, I guess we, yeah, I think we're going to say goodnight. Enjoy whatever you enjoy. And um, Megan and Pat, we'll see you and hear, you'll hear from us, Henry, not see us yeah. next week. God bless you. Okay. Good, good night, everybody. Good night. Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. Email Gianni Russo with your questions, comments, and for information regarding his motivational speaking appearances to Gianni at HollywoodGodfatherPodcast.com. Email Patrick Picciarelli with your questions and comments to Patrick at HollywoodGodfatherPodcast.com and visit Amazon.com for a listing of books he has written. I'm Megan Horan. I can be emailed at Megan at HollywoodGodfatherPodcast.com and would enjoy hearing from you. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. We'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. But most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your emails. Good night.